On today's show, our guest is Hannah Green. If you're new to the Go All In podcast, welcome. We tell stories of others that have gone all in. Now, as you can imagine, you can go all in on anything. It could be your relationship, your finances, your health, or anything you put your mind to, really. And today's guest has an epic Go All In story that will take you on a journey from debilitating chronic illness to complete and total recovery. Hannah was struck down by a mystery illness in 2006 and was misdiagnosed by more than 10 doctors in two different countries. Eventually, she found out that she had an incurable case and was in the late stages of Lyme disease. Now, if you don't know what that is, Lyme disease is an infection usually transmitted by ticks. The nasty little bugs pass on a bacteria that create various symptoms that are very hard to diagnose, and it wreaks all types of havoc with your body's chemistry. The biggest cause of death from Lyme disease is actually suicide, which demonstrates the serious nature of the symptoms that never seem to stop. Once Hannah was correctly diagnosed, she decided early on that conventional medical treatment and antibiotics were not the route that she wanted to take. And after months of research and close collaboration with some incredible naturopaths here in Australia, she created a four-step plan to recover. Subsequently, Hannah has enjoyed a total recovery from the so-called incurable chronic disease through natural and cost-effective remedies. Hannah's go-all-in story is one of hope, and I'm pleased to say that she's fully recovered and now working to help others with this insidious disease. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Hannah Green. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Hannah. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. All right. It's been a bit of an epic effort to get you on the show, but here we are. I'd like to start off with all of my guests with a little quick quiz and a bit of a get to know you. It helps us calm the nerves. It warms us up and maybe we'll get to know something about you that your other friends and families listening in don't already know. You ready? Oh dear. Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Here we go. You just got to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. Perfection or execution? Execution. Do you prefer to be in the office working away or out networking with new people and new clients? Oh, networking. I love networking. Do you prefer writing content or do you prefer speaking engagements? Speaking is my new skill I'm developing. So I like that. Yes. Have you had much experience? No. You're getting there? (laughs) Yep. I'm just jumping up whenever I'm offered an opportunity and that's working really well. That's how this came up. Being invited to here. Yeah. Cool. Would you say you're old school or new age? In the middle. <laughs> oh, come on. You can't sit on the fence. You've got to pick one. Okay. Old school. <laughs> old school. Good one. Yeah. Good one. All right. Would you prefer a paleo diet or a vegan diet? Oh, definitely paleo. And I can talk about that later. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Last one. Meditation or contemplation? I like to contemplate when I meditate. Oh, you're playing another, you're playing both sides there as well. <laughs> yeah. I'd say meditation. I think meditation just takes so many different forms these days. There's so many different versions of that. You know, the 
emptying your mind and concentrating on your breath and thinking of nothing is something I definitely, definitely can't do. But I definitely can meditate and contemplate at the same time, the way you're describing for sure. Yeah, well, some amazing things happened to me when I learned to meditate. In so emptying I talk about your mind? That. Yes, yeah, just even just, you know, getting the hang of meditation for a minute or two, amazing mm. things started to happen. So, yeah, I love meditation. Cool. All right. Well, let's revisit that in a couple of minutes. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. It's kind of fun. I did have one more question that I forgot to ask. I'm going to ask it anyway. Can you sing? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no. I was in the choir at school and I did do a solo in church one year when I was about nine, but then I realized I didn't have to do it. So I haven't. All right. Nice one. Thank you for sharing that. It's kind of a bit of fun to start off with. If you could, please, mate, people come on over to this podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. Now, I know that you've got an epic story of recovery. So if you could, can you please share with us your biggest all in stories or stories and the lessons that you've learned from commitment and going all in to succeed? A kind of short story is I decided to move to Australia and looking back, there was a reason for that. And I'd always wanted to set up a graphic design agency and live in a different country. So I thought, well, why don't I just do both? You know, kill two birds with one stone. So I moved to Australia in 2009 from England and ended up working as a volunteer until I got my visa sorted. And then I managed to grow a really successful graphic design company. In a couple of years, I had about 13 clients up in Darwin and about four designers working for me in Australia and in the UK. And yeah, I just really went for it because I love Darwin. I'm really into environmental work and conservation work. So that's my clients were all environmental based. Yeah, so just got this business going, was, you know, firing on all cylinders, looking for new premises. And then that's when my whole health started to just crumble and collapse. So But it turned out, you know, that was a great step because I had some money behind me to help me through my next stage, my next challenge. Mm -hmm. You're formally trained as a graphic designer, right? Yeah, I went to art college and, yeah, I trained at a friend's studio. So I do illustration, portraits, graphic design, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I did. How come you didn't set up a business in the UK? You just wanted to come and travel to another country? No, I did. I was doing a lot of commissioned artwork in the UK, but I wanted to travel. So mm-hmm. I did a kind of round the world working, traveling trip. A little bit later than most people do, I was about 27 when I went. So yeah, but then once I, you know, done a bit of traveling, I got to Australia and thought, I love it here. Mm-hmm. I really want to come back and, um, you know, work here. I'm very biased when I hear about these stories of other people coming to Australia and starting these businesses and being successful. We do live in the best country in the world, without a doubt. I know. And we're so lucky, so much opportunity. Tell me about what, you know, you came here, you hit the ground running, you're firing in all cylinders. How was that compared to the UK and the other places that you'd visited throughout the world? I think the thing that struck me was, Darwin is such a welcoming, open place. People aren't really bothered about, you know, what skills you've got, what qualifications you've got. It's more about if they like you and you're keen, they'll just give you a go. So, you know, I wasn't that experienced at graphic design, but I started off as a volunteer for certain charities, the Environment Centre, 
the Marine Conservation Society. And because they liked me and, you know, what I was doing, um, that led to paid work. And, yeah, so I, I just grew from there and um, took on freelance designers to work with me. And, you know, I wasn't as qualified or experienced as a lot of UK designers or agencies might be, but people were just like, yes, you know, you want to help us out? Let's work together. So it's more about who you are in Darwin than what qualifications you've got. And I really love that. What about the hot weather in Darwin? I've got to ask, man, that is like, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to the desert in Saudi Arabia and I still think (laughs) Darwin is hotter than that place. It is like living in an oven, but I looked at it as every day it's a free sauna. You know, people pay a lot of money to have a sauna, um, but it's free every day. It, It keeps all the toxins coming out. It's a detox. Yeah. And you never, ever feel cold. And the scenery and the people are, well, the scenery is stunning and the people are, well, yes. they're not stunning, but the people are absolutely oh. <laughs> wholesome and true Aussies, right? I love that aspect of Darwin. They're yeah, so I love it. Everyone's so down to earth. Everyone's included. You know, if they don't like you, they let you know. You know where you stand. I just love Darwin. It's just a, a great place, yeah. And you've got to be a special kind of person to deal with everything up there because it's quite intense. Yeah, it's a brilliant place. I think um, we might clip a couple of bucks from Tourism Australia or something like that for promoting Darwin and what a great place <laughs> this is. So tell me, yeah. you, you're running the business there for a little while and it was going really well for you. When did you notice that you started to feel unwell? How long were you there for? Was it a year, two years? How far in were you? Well, I actually felt unwell in, in the UK in 2006. I got back from my round the world working, traveling trip and I've started to feel pretty sick soon after that. And I actually met an Australian guy in Australia and he came back to England with me for two years. And after sort of 2006, I got this sort of flu type feeling, just this horrible fatigue and hangover flu, horrible thing. And I never really got rid of that after 2006. It just hung around. So I decided to move to Australia, you know, hoping maybe the lifestyle would help and the warm weather would help. But it got to the first wet season in Darwin, because obviously they have the dry season and then the wet season, very tropical. And I just went down like a sack of potatoes. I just ended up with severe chronic fatigue. I was in bed for, you know, a week at a time if I had a night out. Just a feeling of hangover, flu, glandular fever, just nonstop. And by that point, I'd seen about eight doctors in the UK and Australia. And everyone was saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, had all the blood tests. Yeah, they said, oh, you possibly got glandular fever, but it didn't feel like that. Um, and I was just sent home and just told to have, take some paracetamol, have a rest. You know, but I was just doing that all the time. So, so I ended up basically bedridden at the end of 2011. I'd seen 10 doctors by then and nobody knew what was wrong. And the, the onset of it was, it didn't just strike you down one day and then you couldn't get out of bed? Or was it like a, over a gradual period of time that that had happened to yeah, you? Yeah, it was really gradual. It started with the, just the flu-like feeling. And then gradually I started to get digestion problems. Like I had kind of IBS symptoms. Um, I developed food intolerances, which was so unlike me because I could just shovel anything down yeah. <laughs> like a human dustbin. Yeah. I started to have terrible insomnia. You know, I'd be up at three o'clock in the morning baking 
and then, you know, I'm not a big baking fan, but there was nothing else to do. <laughs> so slowly all these symptoms added up. So, you know, chronic fatigue, food intolerances, insomnia. I had started to get really bad mood swings, depression, um, anxiety, just anything that you can imagine you wouldn't want, you know, all started to pile up. Yeah. So over time. And how come the doctors couldn't work out what was wrong with you? Like when you tell me those things, like, and they're, they're like layered upon each other. So yeah. it must come from a root cause of something like you're, yeah. you're tired because you don't feel well. You can't sleep because you don't feel well. And then you get up yeah. and do something and you're more tired. And it's a cycle that you find. Yeah. Yourself in. Oh, it was awful. I, yeah, I got into this terrible cycle where, like you say, if you can't sleep, you feel awful. Mm. If you can't eat properly, you feel awful. And then you get anxious because you don't know what's happening. And I knew my body was trying to tell me something, but it, it got to the point where the doctors were saying, they, they were interested to start with, but then when they couldn't work out what it was, they lost interest and they just said, you've got chronic fatigue. You know, I'm thinking, well, chronic fatigue, you don't just go from riding horses, traveling, running marathons like I was doing, to having chronic fatigue. You know, there's a reason behind it. So I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And in the meantime, my partner of six years decided to leave because he, you know, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was all over the place mentally, physically, emotionally. It's very hard. Um, it's hard on a relationship. Yeah, and very hard. And kind of when I needed him the most, that's when, you know, it, it was just too much for him. He'd had enough. Yeah. And kind of understandable in a way because I'd become a different person to the person he knew. Yeah, I was just so focused on what was going wrong. Um, and I was scared, you know, I was really scared. I didn't know what was happening. So yeah, it was a very, very difficult time. And I lost my business. And a lot of my friends drifted away because I couldn't go to social events. I was in bed, you know, for two weeks at a time. Yeah. So just a very difficult time. A very isolating experience, right? All, all by yeah. itself. What, what, how did it feel when the business was starting to slip away? That must have been really hard because you worked so <sighs> hard for that and it's deeply personal. Yeah, because I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. Mm. I was doing work for the Environment Centre. I was hanging out of helicopters. I was on boats. You know, I was up in the top end because I did a lot of photography and I did assignments as well for Australian Geographic wow. and Outback Magazine. I was writing a photographer, photographing for them, sorry. Just getting going in that and really kind of finding my feet, you know, in the business and my kind of writing and photography work and it just felt so cruel you know that I'd worked really hard I mean I arrived in Australia with with no money you know just just the money for my visa and basic costs mm -hmm. and I built up this really successful business and I was looking to hire more designers and move to a studio in the center of the city and instead everything just went backwards you know and I cut down my hours and I got rid of a couple of designers, which was really hard because they were wonderful. Mm. Yeah, so I basically scaled it down until it was me again and then just had to make a decision to just stop because I couldn't even stand up anymore, basically. Very, very difficult. And I'm certain when I hear your story like that, it makes me shines a spotlight on how little planning I've actually done in my business. 
<laughs> what would happen if I got sick or I was incapacitated in a car accident or something happened to me and I couldn't yeah. go to work. So it's, I guess that's the last thing in the world you'd thought was going to happen to you, right? That's why you hadn't had any planning in place. No. Well, I did have income protection insurance, mm -hmm. but then I needed to renew it. And because I closed my businesses, I decided to take six months off because I thought, I don't know what it is, but I need to do something because this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I was just diagnosed by chance, actually, by a doctor who is a bit underground in Australia because the Australian government, basically, they're, they're, they're a little bit kind of cautious about illnesses like this and he actually has Lyme disease himself and he recognized my symptoms and just so by chance I got correctly diagnosed but the Australian government denies that Lyme disease exists in Australia and Can there's also back up, back up for a sec for a second yeah. Hannah if and give us some context for the people that are listening that don't know what Lyme's disease is can you just give us some um, yeah. of that what, what actually is it well it's a severe bacterial infection and you get it, it's most commonly transmitted by a bite of a tick, which is a little uh, member of the spider family. And most people would know them on their dogs and cats. You know, they're, they're a blood-sucking member of the spider family and they can transmit bacteria when they bite. So that's how you get Lyme disease commonly. Um, when the tick is attached to you, it will feed and then transmit that bacteria into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And... Some people seem to be able to cope with it. Their immune system is strong. Other people don't and get very, very sick almost immediately. But they're also now finding spiders, mosquitoes, horseflies, things like that. Anything that bites can actually carry Lyme disease. So you can, if you catch it early, when it's still in your bloodstream, you can actually zap it with very strong antibiotics for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. But if it's left untreated, it kind of goes from your bloodstream and starts to migrate through your body. And that's when it causes utter chaos and like hell on earth for people. So if there's yeah. all that science that's there behind it and it's documented, recognised science, why doesn't the Australian government recognise that Lyme disease is a thing? It seems like such a weird, weird thing because, you know, in researching you and learning your story about what it is, and then I find out that doctors won't diagnose you with it. It's like, what the hell? It just yeah, I know. I'm not really sure because it was discovered by a scientist in Queensland in the 1980s. And then a PhD student discovered a, another sort of variant of the bacteria in New South Wales in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And that was backed up by the universities that they, you know, were connected to. But the government still says that there's no evidence of Lyme disease in Australian ticks. They're saying that there's a possibility of a Lyme-like disease because clearly people are getting very sick. And it seems like the Australian strain of whatever it is, is quite severe. People are getting paralysis, seizures. They can't go out of a darkened room. They're getting 24-hour migraines. You know, it's pretty serious. And that's why I couldn't get any financial help or insurance because it's not recognised as a disease in this country. So mm. you don't get any help with sort of accurate testing, treatment, support. So people are just left ignored, basically, behind closed doors. Mm. Yeah, it's really shocking. You can get that anywhere, right? I could be 
in Asia in the jungle somewhere and get bitten by a tick and still carry that in my bloodstream and be here. And then they don't diagnose it because it's not in Australia, but I got it somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it the, got it in Australia. You're right. You're right. And the ridiculous thing is it's in 80 countries. Yeah. Well, and, and mozzies and spiders are everywhere. Exactly. And the, there's still a lot of doctors saying, oh, it's not in this state. Or say if you're in America, they'll say it's not in this state. We don't have it here. UK, they say that as well. You know, it's not in this county. But, you know, ticks are carried by birds, reptiles, mammals. You know, they don't stick to borders and no. counties and states. You know, they fly and they move, and they migrate. So, yeah, and we're, you know, international air travel, ships. I don't see how a country can say they don't have Lyme disease anymore. So you met with a doctor who had recognize your symptoms because he'd suffered from that himself did yeah. it must have felt good to finally have a label against it now you can research what you can do about it right yeah well it was actually really embarrassing because i knew about lyme disease oh. um yeah because i'd been teaching at a, a riding camp a horse riding camp in america in west virginia and i had seen a leaflet about lyme disease in the staff room but it said, you know, you're going to get paralysis, seizures, you're going to be really sick, hospitalized, you know. So I didn't even put two and two together because yeah. I didn't have any of those. Oh, and they said joint pain. And that's the only thing I didn't have that's very common with Lyme. So I was actually really embarrassed <laughs> that I'd struggled for six years, seen 10 doctors in two countries. You know, and I knew about Lyme disease, but there's still that it affects people differently. So... Mm -hmm. But, you know, all it needs is a blood test at an accurate lab and you can pick up the antibodies. But I actually had three separate tests which all confirm the Lyme. So um, what so are they I looking for in your blood, the antibodies or the... Yeah, because yeah. once it leaves your blood, it's very hard to pick up. So you get a lot of false positive Lyme tests and a lot of negative results because... The standard way of testing is very inaccurate because it was developed in the 70s. So the modern tests, the private tests, are much more accurate. So that's what I had. And that cost me $900. Yes. Yeah, so the testing procedure cost me $2,000 mm -hmm. out of pocket. You know, I paid for that privately. Mm -hmm. But I knew what I was dealing with then. It's when it leaves your bloodstream, you know, you may or may not have antibodies in your blood. They take a while to form. And sometimes the blood tests miss them. So Lyme disease is usually diagnosed clinically through your symptoms. And some people get a rash as well when they're bitten. You know, and they see a tick. You can also send a tick off to be tested for Lyme disease as well. But they also can transmit other infections. So it turned out that I had three strains of Lyme bacteria and six co-infections. So six other infections from that one tick or whatever bit me. <laughs> Nasty. So you think you contracted that from the ticks that were around the horses when you were working there? I think so. I because some ticks, like baby ticks, can be like the size of a poppy seed or a freckle. Yeah. So you wouldn't even see. And they, they go to areas to be, you know, so they won't be detected. So your hairline, in your groin, your belly button, your ears. So, you know, we weren't warned as staff at the camp about the possibility of Lyme disease. So we weren't checking. So yeah, I did take ticks off the horses weekly, mm -hmm. but we were never warned about Lyme disease. So I never checked myself or any of the kids, you know, the kids is what I'm worried about. Mm. 
There's been a lot of media recently here in um, in New South Wales about meat allergies and ticks yes. and people yes. suffering from all sorts of things like that. And you know, people, particularly in the, the bushy areas in and around the rivers and near the ocean in Sydney, and people getting really, really sick from yes. that. And I, and I find, uh, again, I just go back to saying, you know, there's so much research in and around that and they found that and they publicize it and say it's great. And Lyme disease is obviously a really big thing. It's been around for a long time and they kind of still shunning that. It doesn't make any sense to me um, that that's going on. Anyway, you've got an epic all in story of coming to Australia, setting yourself up and being successful there. Now tell me about going all in on your recovery. Now that you've got the, you've got the label there, you know what to do. Is there clinical treatments or do you have to, did you, you came up with something yourself, didn't you? How did you, how did you get Yeah, that? yeah. Well, when I saw the doctor who diagnosed me, when I first saw him, I thought, oh, my God, you look really ill, uh, you know, which isn't good when you go and see a doctor. I didn't know he had Lyme disease at the time, yep. and he didn't tell me that. You know, obviously, that's his private information. But, yeah, so his suggestion was that I needed to go on five or six types of antibiotics for two or three years non-stop in cycles and when I questioned him about this because I'm I'm not a fan of antibiotics unless you really really have to take them he said yes one of them can damage your liver another one has made people go blind or affected their eyesight and it turns out he wasn't telling me the full list of side effects you can get either yeah and I I was trying to get a ballot you know an idea of what's the scenario here and he was saying basically his opinion was these side effects are a lot better than what can happen to you with Lyme disease, you know, if you're left untreated. So, you know, I could die basically because it can get into your heart, all your organs. Mm -hmm. So literally that split second, my instincts kicked in. It's like something just took over and it was like, no, I am not doing antibiotics. You know, that is not the path for me. So I kind of politely waved goodbye to him. Uh, I I did ask him, I said, has anyone recovered on a natural treatment plan, Mm -hmm. not using antibiotics? And he said, I know of two people in the world, but they were very, very lucky. You know, he said, you'd be very, very lucky to recover using 100% natural. You need antibiotics. Mm -hmm. You know, and I went and got quotes for them and followed that path for just to see what would happen. And just one antibiotic. Yeah, one antibiotic was $500 a month. Oh, my gosh. Just one. And he wanted me on five or six different ones. And this is private. You know, this is not through Medicare or any kind of help. And I couldn't work at that point. You know, I could barely get into his office. You know, I could barely get through the door. I was so exhausted. So I thought, no, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm not going to do that. So... (laughs) And the thing is, it's really, really difficult globally to find a Lyme-aware doctor, you know, let alone one that's got Lyme themselves, so they really understand. So to actually walk away from a Lyme doctor when people are really struggling to find one, I realise now it was a massive, massive thing to do. So I thought, right, I've been sick for six years. You know, what's a little bit more time? I'm probably not going to die yet. <laughs> so... I went away and did three months research into what was working, you know, successful natural treatments. And it was really hard to find anyone that had actually recovered 100% from late stage chronic Lyme. So I thought, 
I'm just going to go for it. You know, as I put together all these uh, successful natural treatments that I could find, not just for Lyme, but just for healing the body. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Australia has some of the best naturopaths in the world. And I was already seeing a couple of naturopaths for my gut problems and my chronic fatigue. So I went to them with my research and said, look, you know, this is what I've got. This is what I've found. They'd never even heard of Lyme disease. And then I managed to find one naturopath that had. So put together all my information. They went away and did some research and just came up with a plan that I could do from home with their guidance. Uh, Yeah. And then just got cracking on that. So what was the plan? Was it in and around your eating? Was it about detoxing? Was it a combination of those things? Yeah. I designed a four-phase plan. Um, I found a guy called Dr. Klinghart. He's one of the the global Lyme specialists. Um, He managed to get uh, Yolanda Foster, the Desperate Housewives actress, back to to remission because she struggled for, I don't know, since 2012, I think she struggled. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so he does a, you know, clinical treatment, but, I couldn't afford to get to America and I was too sick to travel. So he's got information online. So I took the basic information with the help of my naturopath and we came up with like a four phase plan and I'm added my research into that as well. Yeah. So it was four phases with eight steps. So the first phase was kind of detox and cleansing, Mm -hmm. basically removing, I had a lot of problems with heavy metals and parasites and toxins may or may not have been caused by the Lyme disease. It's hard to know. Then I did like a nutrition phase. So putting in good stuff and cleansing foods. Then I did a removal phase, which was taking out the bad guys. So removing the bad bacteria. And then I kind of added a rebalancing stage. So completely rebalancing my body, mind and soul, the whole thing. And that just worked amazingly. And in your research and as you're finding your way, you've kind of like, sounds like you're feeling your way through that and taking everybody's experiences and and aggregating that into your own decision-making process. What part of it did you think was environmental? Is any of it environmental? Like drinking tap water from the tap, it's full of fluoride chemicals and all of that sort of stuff. And if you've got a chemical imbalance in your body and you're sensitive to that stuff, don't drink the tap water, right? Um, Yeah. Probably fine exactly. if you're not sick or anything like that. You know, most of us drink yeah. totally fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're dead right. The, the detox phase, I mean, I did a lot of research. I basically turned into a full-time researcher. Mm-hmm. So my three months of research was really eye-opening. You know, it was amazing. So um, I found that the approach of doing like an external detox first, because I decided to do some detoxing and cleansing before I actually had tackled the Lyme, because I realized you know, my body was full of toxins because I had um, mm. bioresonance testing, which is amazing. It can pick up toxins, bacteria, viruses. So I thought that would be a good idea first. So I, did, I looked at my external environment. So I found things like um, ah, anything that stresses the body. So external stresses like, you know, stress, for example, Wi-Fi. I was really badly affected by Wi-Fi. And what else was there? So things like, you know, fumes, toxins, chemicals. So I became quite badly affected by 
just any kind of exhaust fumes, any kind of chemicals around me, light, noise. Yeah. So I slowly started to cut those kind of things out. Yeah, I think you underestimate the environment that you're in and the environment that you create for yourself, how that actually affects your health because it's happening. It might not feel like it's happening to you, but it's happening through you sort of thing. I know I traveled recently and overseas, um, it was a bit more polluted. It was dirty. It was more populated. It was crowded. And I live right by the water here in Sydney on the beach in Cronulla. And yeah. when I got back from just a, a couple of days away, you know, 10 days away or whatever it was, I, I got out of the car and I smelt the ocean and I could feel the the breeze and, my, and it was just so clean here and the sound, the light, everything here was just so much different to where I was and you just don't realize how much that actually affects you and coming from an environment like I live in here and then moving over elsewhere overseas to that environment where it's really crowded, dirty, full-on, polluted and then I come back to it, you really can see the differences and I think people forget in their health, that environmental stuff is really, really critical because it's hard to change your environment. It's hard to pick up and move and go somewhere else and do. Yeah, that's it. And you don't really realize what you're absorbing until you start to clear it out, you know, because your body just absorbs it and deals with it as best it can. And I think a lot of us have, you know, it's not so bad if your detox pathways are clear, but if some of them are blocked, you know, then the toxins can start to really build up, you know, and with Lyme, when the bacteria dies off naturally, it creates a massive amount of toxins from the die off and your body just can't deal with it. You know, and it kind of stresses your organs and your brain. That's where all the symptoms come along. So, and really when you're a Lyme patient, because you get so weak and your body's so hypersensitive, you're almost like a canary in the coal mine, mm. you know, where I was anything that stressed my body, my body would just go, Oh, I can't deal with that. So you know, EMF, electromagnetic mm. frequencies, Wi-Fi, fumes, pollution, toxins. My body just spiraled down, you know, with anything like that was an added load. So when we're healthy, we're dealing with all of that, might not feel it. But when you're compromised, you know, your body tells you, shows you what's, what's a stressor. So I removed a lot of things, yeah. When you're kind of doing three months full of full on research, feeling your way into it and stuff, when was it that you started to actually get a noticeable result and you felt like you were starting to turn the corner? It was really quick. It was really quick. Oh, it was fast. Oh, it was fast. Yeah. Because I didn't know, you know, once I got the diagnosis, I hadn't got a clue what was going on, you know. So I did the preparation phase, which is where my business training actually came in. You know, I like the, the five P's. Being organized. Um, yeah. Preparation, proper, prevent, planning, prevent this poor performance. Yeah. That's a military adage too, right? Is it? I think you can apply that to everything. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm really into market research and that kind of thing. So my research and just my business skills just came into play naturally. Um, <laughs> and planning, you know, so I planned this plan. And yeah, like you're saying, the environment was really important. So what I did was actually move to a remote location across Darwin Harbour. I moved into a beach shack because I went there for a couple of weeks just to start my detox. And it's as though my body said, you need to be here. This is where you're going to heal. Like my body said it, my head was going, what? (laughs) I can't live here. (laughs) There's no street lights and there's no, you know, help, 
medical help or what about the whatever. crocodiles was it all right was it oh safe? yeah there was, there was crocodiles yeah so, crocs around there yeah i mean they're really helpful because <laughs> good motivation to keep walking yeah um no no so yeah talking about the environment you know i, I, I realized i needed a better environment so i moved to this beach shack and started my plan and got going on the detox you know, I was very, very strict. Like I didn't even have my phone in the house with me. Mm-hmm. And within four weeks, I felt better than I did in four years. Wow. So yeah. that was just the de- I wasn't treating the Lyme. I was just detoxing and giving myself nutrition, you know, helping my gut. Yeah. And just doing meditation, gentle stretching, like starting to rebalance everything. And did that accelerate for you as well? That must have went layer upon layer as well. You had those layers of illness there before. Now you've got these layers of health on the yeah. other side of it. It's really kind of a yeah. cool recovery, right? It's a process. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think of it like a health onion, mm. you know, where you've got to kind of, I'd obviously layered up all these layers of ill health. So then I had to just, you know, unlayer those and rebuild. So my approach was, because people panic about Lyme disease and they want to kill it off. You know, it's, it's almost like take a machine gun, get the antibiotics in, kill everything in sight, you know. But that wasn't my approach or my naturopath's approach. And the fact that they didn't know much about Lyme disease, they didn't panic. You know, they just said, oh, it's a bacteria. Well, we're going to treat it like any bacteria you don't want in your body. We will just reduce it and get everything back in balance so your immune system and your gut is healthy. So they kept me very calm. You know, they, they didn't have this hysteria about, oh, you're going to die. You know, it was just keep calm, get back in balance. So what I did was I aimed to rebuild my cells literally from the inside out, cell mm-hmm. by cell. That was my approach. Yeah, it worked really, really well. What did it feel like to get a good night's sleep? Can you remember what that felt like? God, yeah, I remember... But I did a lot of visualization, you know, I, I visualized and I felt myself well, you know, feeling good again. And I, w- I called it feeling gorgeous. I wanted to get back to the point where I felt gorgeous inside and out. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first morning I woke up after getting like eight hours sleep um, <laughs> because I'd worked so hard on getting my hormones, my adrenals rebalanced. I had all these tricks, you know, to help me sleep. And it finally, I woke up one morning the sun was shining, the birds were singing, and I thought, I feel gorgeous. I feel <laughs> that gorgeous feeling inside, you know, you which is there. normal. It's, it's just a normal feeling. Yeah. I feel normal. Yeah. I'll never forget that morning. And I knew then, yeah, my health, you know, it's back. You yeah. were on the mend. You were definitely on the mend. You'd turn the corner there. And it was yes. So that's just really like in stage one. And then you've got another three stages of that to go. So fast forward uh, for me, you, did, you, did you get all the way, how long did it take you to recover from no, that, that? That feeling gorgeous wasn't, oh, that took me nine months to get to okay. that point. So you're beyond yeah, the so, detox, you're back into the nutrition yeah. and the kind of third and fourth yeah. bits of it. The thing with Lyme disease is when you treat it, it's a little bit like cancer. When you hit it with cancer with chemo, it's the treatment that makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. So... The detox got me to a, you know, a cleanse stage. So I was ready to then start my proper treatment. So I got myself as well as I could feel still having the Lyme disease. And then when I started the actual treatment, 
oh you know that <laughs> yeah I got for the first couple of months it was really difficult to because when you treat with these very strong herbal antibiotics mm-hmm. you know that they, they kind of match with your genes and your body knows what to do with them they're very smart and synergistic so they work with your body rather than pharmaceutical antibiotics so that's my approach so when you kill off the bacteria you know you're releasing toxins in huge numbers so the symptoms just flare massively and it's called a Herxheimer reaction named after a scientist So that's when you kill off stuff too quickly and your body can't cope. So it took me a while to balance out the detox, mopping up the toxins with certain products, but still killing off the bacteria. Took me about two months to get to a point where I was comfortable-ish. You know, there was a lot of horrible days when I took too much much, um, herbal antibiotics. And for four days afterwards, I'd have to lie flat and not move because my head was pounding. And how, how much is it? Like, what's the volume? Is it just like a mouthful of stuff? Or is it, a, is it like a drink, like a cup of tea like that? Or is it yeah. one in the no, chemistry well, in your body is so, so damn sensitive, you know, like takes such yeah. a amount of something and it does that to you? Well, to give you an example, my naturopath wanted me to start Cemento, which is a natural antibiotic you find in South America in the rainforest. This is why we shouldn't be cutting down the rainforests because they're full of medicine, natural medicine, Mm. you know, and I'm really thankful for the rainforest for basically healing me. So it's a a tincture, which is made from this plant on a vine in the rainforest. And my naturopath said to me, right, your first dose, you need to get a litre of cold water, filtered clean water and put one drop in and drink that through a day. And so I said, one drop, shouldn't I just do five or you know Shouldn't I swap that round drink a liter of it and then have a drop of water in. I want to feel better yeah. quick <laughs> yeah so anyway I followed her instructions because I can be a bit over enthusiastic and overdo things um did that one drop oh the next day bang I was out with the worst hurt reaction ever wow it was so, too much yeah it was too much that yeah. one drop so I had to go back to one drop in two litres of water. Gosh. So I don't think people realise how powerful herbal you know, medicine is or can be. And mm-hmm. a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs are based on that herbal compound anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes it easier to have a synthetic version that you can produce and sell and make money from. I was going to um, say, is it expensive to buy? It must. Well, not really, not for what it is. I mean, that bottle of tincture... I think that cost me something like $58 from Europe. That came from Europe. Better than 500 bucks a month, right? Exactly, exactly. So my whole treatment plan, I overdid it a bit at the start because I was trying all these different things. But at the end, I streamlined it to what was really working. My whole thing cost me $10,000 for the, well, 12 months I was on my treatment plan. But... You know, there's people going to clinics because they don't know what to do. They're not getting any help. They're having to spend $20,000 or more for a couple of weeks at a clinic in Europe. So they've got to pay wherever they're living, you know, to go to Europe. People are selling their houses, you know, remortgaging, cashing in their supers. Mm. Yeah, so that's why I've been trying to speak to people about what I did because I did it from home, you know, at a minimum cost. And that's a really, really important part of it as well. You know, you'll 
I think people will pay any amount of money to be well. That's why they mortgage their house and dip into their yeah. retirement yeah. savings and whatnot. But, you know, there's alternatives out there and, you know, you should be so very proud of yourself for sharing this message. And it's my pleasure and my honor to amplify that for you with this show. Now you're well, yeah. Hannah. It must be surreal that you're well. I mean, that's a hell of an experience that you went through for a long time. And you lived an entire lifetime in that six years with a successful business, your partner leaving, you're in a foreign place. Things went really well and then they came undone badly. They came together. Man, those ups and downs are, are incredible. That's an all-in story just in the space of six years. That's a lifetime <laughs> of, of heartache and, you know, and euphoria in those six years as well. You know, good things yeah. as well, not just bad. But how do you feel on the other side of it now? How's it feel to be well? Oh, just amazing. I was actually saying to someone last week, I was saying I actually love putting the bins out in the rain, you know, walking down the drive, putting the bins out in the rain when it's cold and wet, just because I can, you know, just to be able to be upright. Like every day I'm upright now and I'm able to do normal things. It's almost like you're reborn again. You know, when you're so sick and you're so... I mean, literally, the, the biggest cause of death in Lyme disease is suicide right. because, you know, it's a combination of feeling so sick, not getting any help, people not understanding. So when you come out of, you know, that sort of those feelings and you're well again, yeah, it's really hard to describe that amazing feeling. It's like a gift. Yeah. Sounds like you've got some incredible perspective. I've never really in my life been sick other than maybe man flu here and there, but even then, not really that bad. I'm very lucky and I'm acutely aware that other people suffer from chronic illnesses like yourself and what had happened to you. I'm, I'm well aware of how lucky I am in respect of that. But I, I guess I had little different experiences for myself in the military where that gives you perspective as well. And, you know, when your feet are pointing at the ground and nobody's a shooting, it's a pretty good day and nothing really matters except the friends and family that you have around you. And that perspective that you've got there is, is incredible motivation for people to keep on hanging on and keep trying and just a little bit of hope to get well. It's really, really good. Do you suffer any residual symptoms of it or anything like that? No, no, I've been really lucky. No, I mean, I've been totally symptom free. Mm -hmm. since I came off my treatment plan I stayed on it an extra three months just to make sure and actually this week is the anniversary so I've been symptom free for four years yeah um, from this week and it's great yeah being um global wellness day as well it's all kind of coming together and here it is so, on a podcast let's tell the world about it how good yeah, it yeah. so it's great <laughs> so this is the the anniversary of being totally symptom free and really i'm healthier than i was before because you know i used to drink too much you know i never smoked but i was always up late ate too much sugar mm -hmm. you know didn't really look after myself so i know so much more about health and wellness now yeah so i'm actually much healthier than i ever was that's fantastic. Well, I have to say that the people listening can't hear, but I can see you and you look gorgeous. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> so that gorgeous thing is, is happening there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There it is. Yeah. It's on the inside and the outside. It's coming out. Yes, thank you. So do you, Robert. Well, thank you. <laughs> Tell me about your upcoming book and the mentoring that you're help doing to help other people with Lyme disease. Yeah, well, when I was sick with Lyme disease, I actually... Um, just wanted to focus on being well. So I didn't really spend a lot of time in support groups or, you know, I did set up a support group in Darwin 
um, it's a social thing. But I found as I was improving, people were asking me, you know, like, what are you doing? Because to start with, they laughed at me and almost sort of doubted the natural way, you know, that's not going to work. But gradually people started to see me improving and going out doing things. You know, they're saying, well, what did you do? You know, we're still sick. Can you help us? So, you know, I was talking to a lot of people in the support groups because there's thousands of people in online support groups really struggling across the world. So I've been active in those for a couple of years now. And it got to the point where I was getting so many messages from people saying, can you help me? Can you help my child? Can you help my brother, my sister, my mum, my dad? Um, it got overwhelming and I got very stressed about yeah. it. So I recorded everything I did on my treatment plan because I just knew that I could help people as I was going through the process. Um, so many people along the way said, there's a book in this, you know, what you've done is going to be a book. So I thought, well, I can reach a bigger audience if I write a book. So yeah, it's almost ready to go. It's just in the final production stages. So it's, it's 50% my story, um, what happened, and then 50% my full treatment plan. So exactly what I did to recover. Mm-hmm. And there's also other useful things. So my aim is to provide people with the book that I wish I'd had mm-hmm. at the start of my journey, um, just to encourage and inspire Lyme patients that, you know, it can be done. If I did it, I've got no medical training. Anyone can do it. Fantastic. Well, once that book comes out in the next couple of months, we'll be sure to bring you back on and talk some more about that and and amplify that message as loudly as we can for you. I'm your biggest supporter and your biggest fan in in helping you here, Hannah. How do you help with mentoring people? Yeah, well, that just sort of happened naturally because I've been very active on social media with my story and also setting up pages to give people information and post news about Lyme developments. So people contacted me, and so I've ended up just mentoring a few people, just helping them through, giving them... I mean, I'm not medically qualified, so I can't give medical advice. You know, I'm very clear about that. But I can give some understanding, support, some experience of what worked for me. So I'm just just supporting people, really, and just... They've been asking me what I did and going back to their health professional and suggesting these things... And the, one of the really lovely things was there's a, a young guy in the UK who's been struggling. He's doing really well. Um, he's got the right mindset, you know, and I know he'll recover. But he just asked me, like, how do you take your mind off feeling so sick all the time? So I just suggested a few things that I did. And, you know, obviously photography is one of my massive loves and that really helped me. Mm-hmm. You can literally go out and focus on something else, you know, away from your body. And I didn't know it, but he asked his family for a camera for his 21st birthday. And he went out and took photographs and sent his first photos to me and said, oh, thank you. You know, these are my photos. I really love it. It's really helping. Mm -hmm. So just suggestions like that, that people might not have thought of, you know, it's, it's really nice. So I want to progress that to more formal coaching, just encouraging, supporting patients. Yeah, so there's more of a network that they can access. Yeah, it's hard when you're going through something to have perspective and to know what you can do to kind of feel better and just really simple suggestions like, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? That's just such yeah. a Yeah, well, 
because with Lyme, every day is about survival. You know, you're thinking like, what symptom am I going to have today? How am I going to get through today? So you don't necessarily have that, you know, you're not thinking in the broader sense. Mm -hmm. So just to have somebody come along and say, like my naturopath was good at that. You know, I'd be panicking and having an anxiety attack about something and she'd just say, well, try this. And I go, oh, <laughs> yeah. And it's the most simple thing in the whole world. Why yeah. I that? Right, yeah. But, you know, when you feel like you're about to die, you yeah. can't think straight. You can't think clearly. You're not logical. So it just takes, and very often family members and friends, because they haven't been through that experience, it's very hard for them to understand. You know, and people don't want to, healthy people don't want to hang around a sick person all the time. So you do end up really, really isolated. You know, so having someone that understands can really make a massive difference. Well, if we can um, bring more people together like that, that can only be a, a good thing. So let me yeah. help you in doing that as well and getting that message out there. So it's been my pleasure to do that for Thanks. you and with you as well. So before you were crook and bitten by those nasty little critters and that made you sick, you look like you were living in a pretty incredible life, traveling the world, gallivanting around, having a good time as young people do. What would you say to a 17-year-old that's about to leave school? Now you've got this perspective on your life that most people don't have or don't get because they don't get as sick as what you do. What would you say to a 17-year-old about to take the leap, maybe not sure what they're going to do? What would you say about going all in? I'm very big on experiences, you know, so I'd say just follow your gut instinct, you know, what you feel is right. Decide what you want, basically. Make a plan to get to that goal and just go for it. You know, if you have to adapt that on the way, do it. But yeah, actually deciding what you want is the important thing and then creating that plan and following it, I think is very important. It's a pretty simple equation for life, but it holds true in so many aspects and so many circumstances, right? Yeah, it does. And people say, I remember people saying to me, oh, you've got your whole life to do that. You know, why do you need to be gallivanting off doing that? But I know now why, you know, because I fitted in an awful lot before I got sick and then I lost sort of 10 years of my life being sick and recovering. So I'm so grateful that I did all that traveling and, you know, riding horses and running marathons. Um, because it gave me, that's the feeling I wanted to get back to. So that's what I focused on throughout my whole plan, getting back to doing that. I could see myself doing it again. Yeah, so I'd say don't listen to anyone else. <laughs> just follow your gut instinct and just work it out for yourself. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Tell me, Hannah, what are your daily non-negotiables that you do every day that keep you sharp and focused? keep you feeling well and staying healthy and, and happy? I think the key thing is balance. Balance is really important. So that's one thing I've learned. So I keep doing my detox basic practices. You know, I follow the basic rules that your body needs because it's an ecosystem. You know, your body, your mind, your soul, it's all an ecosystem. So I keep that in balance as much as possible. So that keeps me, yeah, really fit and active and, and focused, keeps everything ticking along. Are you a daily meditator? I'm more into gratitude. So every morning and every evening, I do a gratitude session. Mm -hmm. And I find that really opens up. You know, if you're feeling a little bit tense or angry about something, just to stop and be grateful and just open up that kind of heart and mind space again. 
all the good magical stuff starts to come in again rather than being closed and shut. Um, I do meditate probably a couple of times a week. I like to sit on a rock mm-hmm. <laughs> and ground literally. myself. Yeah, literally <laughs> sit on a rock, ground myself to the earth's energy. It all sounds a bit hippie, juju, yeah. you know, but for me, it works. You know, I'm literally grounded, yeah. um, balanced again, and it works really well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on our show and sharing your go all in story. You are an inspiring and incredible woman and absolutely gorgeous to boot as well. <laughs> thank you, um, Robert. I'm so honored to have you here and, and to hear your story. And I'm so happy that you're better and you're recovered. And hopefully the listeners out there that are hearing this can draw a little bit of hope from it. And where can people find out more about your website? Yeah, well, I've got a website and it's called layersoflime.com. And from there, you can find my Facebook page. So it's Hannah Green, a Lyme Recovery Success Story is the Facebook page. So you can get in contact via social media or send me a message via the website. And there'll be information about the book as well coming out. Yeah, I'm working on my book, online support content, and then some coaching programs as well. Okay, fantastic. I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes. And when your book comes out, we'll bring you back on and we'll talk some more about that. Now, if you've just tuned in to the Go All In podcast, well, what a treat that you've just had. That's fantastic. If you could go ahead and head over to iTunes and subscribe for us, that'd be fantastic. And if you could leave us some feedback and a comment, that really helps as well. Well, that's it for this show. Thanks again, Hannah, for coming on. We really appreciate it, mate. And we look forward to having you on again soon. Bye for now.